I said, brother, I don't need to critique the message, man. You drove the nail straight. I said, you know, now we've got a tabernacle set up on the park strip in Anchorage. You mentioned the tabernacle in your sermon. My sermon is about the tabernacle, and the message is message three in a series on worship, and this is called the pattern of worship. You know, God was so intricate that there must be thousands of examples in the Word of God of you could look at the life of one person and say, that person is a type of Jesus, or this is a type of, you know, you understand what I'm saying? You know, the good Samaritan, you know who he was a type of? All of us. The devil tries to beat us up and leave us on the side of the road for dead, and, and the Pharisee, the Sadducee, they can pass by. The law can't do anything for you. But Jesus would not pass that man up. Jesus is all about that man down in the road. Amen? So having said all that, the Word of God is so full of, of these examples and these types. And, and the very first time I was ever exposed to a teaching on the tabernacle was in seminary. And I took an entire course on the typology of the tabernacle. It's been with me all these years. So when we were going to talk about worship, I knew we were going to have to go here. We were going to have to go to the tabernacle. We were going to have to go to the temple. And we're going to have to ask some questions. Why did God set it up the way he did? He set it up the way he did so that people who were carrying the shed blood of these innocent animals in, sprinkle them on the mercy seat, that was a real serious job they were doing. And what happened to them if they didn't get it right? They dropped dead, right? So, the preparation that they went through to be able to enter there and not die is actually the steps that we go through, spiritually speaking, to get ready to enter into the presence of God and worship the Lord. By the way, thank you for reaching out to God today. It encourages us up there on the platform, and I just say thanks. I appreciate that. Now, I want you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 9. We're going to read the first nine verses. And... Um, God's going to move us a little closer in worship. Can you say amen? Hebrews chapter 9, verse 1. Hebrews 9, verse 1. I still hear pages turning, so I'm going to, I'm going to hold up here. I'm going into a holding pattern. I'm going to back up so that my brother William can see me without getting a crick in his neck. Thank you, brother. God bless you. All right, now, Hebrews chapter 9, beginning with verse 1. Now, even the first covenant had regulations of divine worship and earthly sanctuary. So why did I go here? <laughs> because the, type, the, the typology of the tabernacle or the tabernacle that's in the wilderness says, now even the first covenant had regulations of divine worship and the earthly sanctuary. Divine worship and earthly sanctuary. Say that with me. Divine worship and the earthly sanctuary. One more time. Divine worship and the earthly sanctuary. For there was a tabernacle prepared, the outer one, in which were the lampstand and the table and the sacred bread. This is called the holy place. All right? I'm going to tell you later why specifically it's called the holy place. Behind the second veil, there was a tabernacle which is called the holy of holies having a golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant, covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden jar holding the manna and Aaron's rod which budded and the tables of the covenant, and above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing 
the mercy seat. But of these things we cannot now speak in detail. Uh, but of these things we cannot now speak in detail. Now when these things have been so prepared, the priests are continually entering the outer tabernacle, performing the divine worship. But into the second only the high priest enters once a year, not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the sins of the people committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit is signifying this, that the way into the holy place has not yet been disclosed while the outer tabernacle is still standing, which is a symbol for the present time. Accordingly, both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make the worshiper perfect in conscience. Now, what is that talking about? That's talking about the old way of doing things. Do you think that the children of Israel, or the Hebrews, or the Israelites, whatever you want to call them, had trouble after Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins and was resurrected from the dead? They didn't need to slaughter another lamb. They didn't need to slaughter another bull. They didn't need to slaughter a dove. They didn't need to do any of those things. But how hard do you think it was for them, even the Christian Jews, to give it up? Hard, right? We're creatures of habit, right? I remember a church that I was a youth pastor in in King Street, South Carolina, and we sang nothing but hymns. as hymn books. We sang the hymns, wonderful hymns. Amen? They're wonderful, right? But if you had like four verses... And you had a chorus. We were going to sing the first, second, and the fourth. We're going to skip the third. We weren't going to sing the third. Have you ever been in a church like that? And the guy leading the worship would say, we're going to sing the first, second, and the fourth, and we'll skip the third, you know. And we did that so often to where we were never, you couldn't ask anybody in the church, you know what the third verse of that song is? I had no idea. I never sang it in my life, right? So I was making a point about these habits, just like I am here. And I said, you know, we're creatures of habit. I said, for example, in our church, we sing first, second, fourth. We don't sing the third. Everybody busted out laughing, right? Well, we always ended the service with singing a hymn, right? So now this time, the director of worship got up and made it a point, said, for Brother Dennis's benefit, we will sing the third verse today. And everybody busted out laughing, right? And we start singing, right? We mow through verse 1, we mow through verse 2, and jump right to verse 4. After it was announced, right? Why? Because we're creatures of habit, right? All right. You know, when I was a child, you got you to pay attention to this. I'm asking God to help me convey this thing to you, right? Let me tell you what the tabernacle was. When I was a little guy, my mama sewed. It saved money. She sewed. She taught my sister, Talisa, to sew, right? And I remember there was a room in the house where the patterns would get laid out. How many of you ladies remember that? Patterns, right? The patterns, and they'd be there, right? Funny thing about the patterns that I noticed is <clears throat> the patterns really weren't much good for anything but making the thing that they were designed to build or to make, right? But I can tell you this, that once my mother made a dress or whatever she made, when she put it on and the, you never thought about the pattern again, didn't need the pattern, you had the dress, right? Now, I'm going to tell you something. We're going to learn some things about the tabernacle today, but all it was was a pattern. I'm glad that these folks are here in town, and they set up the tabernacle, and, man, they know a lot. Mike can tell you. They, 
they know a lot. He, he, he enjoyed um, going through the, uh, Jackie, you were there, right? Yep, thank you. I appreciate that. It was good, wasn't it? Did you learn anything? That's why today you're going to walk out of here probably better educated than most of us. All right? So there's a goal to this sermon. We're going to examine how the tabernacle provides a pattern for how we are to worship, specifically the preparatory steps we need to take before we enter God's presence, things that should happen before you get here. You know, if you're counting, you know me. If you're counting on me with my little guitar and this scratchy old 63-year-old voice, if you're waiting for that to get you where you need to go, you're in trouble, (laughs) you know? You need to be ready before you ever get here, right? So when anyone ever sits down to begin a sewing project, the first thing they must do is find or develop a pattern to guide them as they make whatever it is they're making. If you try to make a dress or a shirt by guesswork, you'll probably end up with something which one would not want to wear, all right? Let's see. You'll probably end up with something which no one wants to wear. That's what I wrote. Not me, not you, William, not any of us. It'll almost certainly be a mess. Without a pattern, all the pieces will not fit together properly. So before beginning such a project, you need to build it around a pattern which provides the structure and guidelines for the garment you have in mind. And then you need to refer to that pattern through all the stages of the project until you're done. But when someone creates a pattern, it's not for the pattern's sake alone. Follow with me on this. The seamstress shouldn't fall in love with the pattern itself. She doesn't lay out a pattern so that she can sew a pattern. She uses that pattern to sew a dress or pants or whatever it is that she's applying her talents toward. It is the same way when you're undertaking an architectural project, right? When you decide to build a new church, for example, you first must create blueprints and lay out the floor plan. The floor plan contains all the measurements so that the building comes together as a beautiful and functional space. The floor plan is never an end in itself, but has its purpose in constructing something bigger than itself. I've never been into a new church before that, you know, it's built, it's there. I remember a friend of mine built a 3,000-seat auditorium. And I went in and toured the place. I'd been in a lot of building dedications before. Uh, And I'm going to tell you this story because it's just, it's true, it happened. I'm sitting in the, in the sanctuary with my wife, and there's speaker after speaker after speaker. You ever been to a building dedication thing? Well, I decided I got to go out and take a little walk, right? So I'm out walking in. It's a fan-shaped auditorium. I'm in this curved hall, and I think to myself, I might as well go to the restroom before I go back to the sanctuary. So I push this door open, and I step inside, and, and this church was fancy. It had an entry kind of a, I don't know what you call it, a little forum there or whatever, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. But I looked, and I'm standing. There's nobody in there. I'm standing there looking. I said, man, listen to these words carefully. This wallpaper sure is feminine looking. You you understand what I'm saying? (laughs) Now, my lightning fast brain didn't kick in and tell me. When they built this church, they did not build this room for you, right? It didn't catch on. So I pushed through to the next door, right? Much to my surprise, there was a little lady sitting there on this countertop, and she's feeding her baby. Now, I am told you before I'm stupid, right? So I think to myself, what are you doing in the men's room? <laughs> you know, and then it dawns on me, and I freak out, right? And I say, I'm sorry, and I run out, right? So I go get my wife, and I say, we got to go. 
we got to go. She goes, what? I said, don't ask any questions. We got to go. <laughs> I think the police are coming. <laughs> so anyway, that room was not built for me. When they did the blueprints for that building, they didn't say, this is the restroom. Carl Dennis is going to get arrested in right here, right? No. Here's my point. Have you ever noticed that you walk in here, one day they built this building, but you never see the blueprints hung up on the wall? They don't need the blueprints to this building anymore unless they need to find some plumbing thing or something, right? You don't need to display them. There's a map indicating missions outreach on that wall, not a blueprint for this building. Now, I'm going I'm to try to explain to you a little bit as we go along why that's important. Listen to this. The book of Hebrews explores the pattern for worship, the tabernacle. And it can be a challenging book to understand. The entire book can be hard to understand. Just like the day that Jesus died. You know that veil that, that uh, separated the priests from the Holy of Holies in there where people died if they went in there? Man, it tore from the top to the bottom. It was over five inches thick. You know what they did right away? Set, at, set themselves at trying to sew it back together. That was their reaction. Uh, there was an earthquake. The veil was torn too perfectly, top to the bottom, straight down. Let's sew it back together. No problem. Let's just sew it back up. Well, it's too late. The presence of God had escaped. Amen? All right. Difficult, challenging book. To properly interpret, we need to understand the Old Testament because Hebrews is originally written from the Jewish mindset for an audience of Jewish Christians who were confused about the relationship between the Old and the New Testament. And I'm going to tell you something. Those people still live today. And they're not just Jews. Jews and Gentiles. Amen? All right. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 4 and 5. I want to look at it again. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all. He is with a capital H. So who are they talking about? Jesus. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are those who offer the gifts according to the law, who serve a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things, just as Moses was warned by God when he was about to erect the tabernacle. For see, he says that you make all things according to the pattern which was shown to you on the mountain. It was the pattern, right? So what we see here is that God gave Moses a pattern for how people should come into his presence. Let's explore what we can learn about, what, about God's pattern for worship from our passage in the book of Hebrews. All right, first point. God provides a pattern for everything but God provides a pattern for worship is the title first point of this message in Hebrews chapter 9 verse 8 and 9 by this the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing verse 9 which is symbolic for the present age according to this arrangement gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the whisperer I don't care how many lambs you slay how many bulls you sacrifice, how many animals lose their blood, it cannot, it can only cover your sins even when it was in place by God. It could not cleanse you of your sins and could not clear your conscience. Amen? Because when your sins are only covered and not cleansed, guilt remains. Right? See how complete the work that Jesus did for us was, though. Amen? 
If you're feeling guilty today about your past in your life, let Jesus deal with that. Cast your care of it over on him. Amen. All right. We got just a few bullet points here under one. This tells us that the earlier tabernacle is a symbol for us today for this present time. That's exactly what it said. This tells us that the earlier tabernacle, the one in the Old Testament, the one, the replica that's set up over there on the, on the park strip, that's about being a symbol for us today for this present time. But this pattern, that pattern has its limits. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 23 says, Therefore it was necessary for the copies of, of the things in the heaven to be cleansed with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. Listen, the author of Hebrews is writing to those who had become enamored with the earthly things, which are only a pattern of the heavenly. Now, let me explain it this way, because I'm trying to get to the meat of this, but you can't leave this stuff off. When you're reading the book of Hebrews from now on, think about the tabernacle. Think about it. In the tabernacle, there was furniture. There was furniture in the tabernacle, and each piece of furniture represented something, all right? Watch this one. The author of Hebrews is writing to those who had become enamored with the earthly things, which are only a pattern of the heavenly, and it's mostly the furniture. Pay attention with me. The earthly tabernacle is only a pattern for the heavenly tabernacle. We miss the point when we settle for a copy. The pattern is important, but we must always remember it points toward something greater. Trust me, the Christian Jews in Jerusalem, after Jesus Christ sent his Holy Spirit and birthed the church in a prayer meeting, they had a difficult time giving up the old way of doing things. Can you say amen? Hey, you might as well say amen because we're the same way, just about different things. Amen? The pattern's important, but we must always remember it points towards something greater. Point number two, God provides a pattern for his presence among his people. We need to pay attention to this. If we don't get this right, we have a difficult time enjoying the presence of God. Listen to this. The tabernacle is where God resided in the midst of his people, so God gave Moses very specific instructions about how it was to be constructed. William, I need your help. Where did you say last week that the tabernacle is now, really? It's in us. It's in us, all right? And the presence of God was in the temple or in the tabernacle in the wilderness, right? He was there in the daytime by a pillar of cloud, you know, and he was there by a, a thing of fire by night. You always knew he was there. It's why many nations feared the children of Israel. They may not believe in God. They may not you know, believe in the God of the Hebrews, but when spies sought out the children of Israel, they'd say, we could destroy these people except for one thing. What is that in their midst? Because I was here for 24 hours. I saw it as a cloud in the daylight, and then it turned to fire at night. And if that don't terrify you, baby, nothing will, right? All right? Now, God provides a pattern for his presence among his people. The tabernacle is where God resided in the midst of his people, so God gave Moses very specific instructions about how it was to be built. We can find these in the latter chapters of Exodus. If you really want some riveting reading, go there. Later, he also gave the same kind of detailed directions for the temple. You remember the temple? 
David collected all of those offerings for it. I love that because the people gave so willingly, abundantly, that the preacher stood up and said, please, please, give no more. <laughs> I bet you ain't heard that in your lifetime, <laughs> right? And then his son Solomon built that temple. Same measurements, only it was a permanent, supposed to be permanent, stationary, right? Okay. So, God's glory, his Shekinah glory, is how he makes his presence manifest among his people. That's the difference. How many of you know God's here right now? I mean, he's here right now. I, I love to grasp that because I'd be lost if I didn't think he was here. What in the world would we be gathering for if he wasn't here? But don't you know the difference between God being here and God nestling down and making himself at home amongst his people, right? See, that's what it means in the, in the English when it says God will inhabit the praises of his people. It means that God will nestle down and make himself at home amongst people. Then he doesn't care really what you see of him. He shows. Now, I want to tell you something. You may not like this, the sound of it, but I'm telling you it's true. There's nothing God loves more than to show off. He can do it. He's God. We, we ain't going to hold that against him. Aren't we going to let God be God? Amen? Man, if, for God to show off in our services, that's what I'm living for, right? It don't matter then who your pastor is. It doesn't matter. You know what I'm saying? It doesn't matter that the sister six chairs down offended you or you know, or the brother did this and said that or whatever. Let me tell you something. I'm human being. I'm going to open my mouth sometime and I'm going to say a thing. And even if it's nothing but your perception, I'm capable of hurting you. I don't mean to. I don't want to. It's not my desire to do that, right? But I can do it, you know? God just comes in to make things better. And you know what? If he offends you, he don't really care. <laughs> He's God, you know? But he doesn't go around offending people, not his children, amen? He loves on them. Do you see me react when my daughter-in-law, my beautiful daughter-in-law brings my beautiful granddaughter in the room, how I respond to her? She melts my heart, you know? She can be having a bad day, and if Papa walks in, not always, I know that, honey, I know that, but oftentimes what happens when Papa shows up? Full-body smile, that's what I call it, full-body smile. I think about God every time that happens. What a gift she is to us, but I think about God. When God shows up, full-body smile, amen? We want him, right? We want to see that glory for ourselves not be told about it secondhand. Amen? Which is why worship is so important. If we explore the elements of the tabernacle, we'll learn more about how we should come into the presence or into God's presence. A, point A under two, piece of furniture, the brazen altar. Is that, is that available? Point A, the brazen altar. Let me tell you what that represents while Nathan goes fishing. And, and if it's not there, it's my fault. Um, operator error is what we'll call it. it after all, it's a computer. Ty, uh, point A, the brazen altar, that represents confession. The first thing you come across when you entered the tabernacle was the brazen altar, which was the most prominent piece of furniture. After all, it was the first one you came to, right? This is the place where animals were sacrificed and their blood was shed. If you didn't stop to make an offering, you could forget about arriving in God's presence. You weren't going to do it. Remember that. Remember that carefully. To get into his presence, you're going to have to come through the blood, right? 
What did I tell you the other day? Praise and worship is for the child of God. It's not for the unsaved. Amen? The, the unsaved, they don't know nothing about praise and worship, really, right? They could care less. They couldn't care less. It's not humanly possible for them to care less. That's how I'll put it, right? Because they don't know him. They don't know anything about wanting to be in his presence, but we do. Amen? If you didn't stop to make an offering, you forget about arriving in the God's presence. To get into his presence, you're going to have to come through the blood. The guilt of sin must be removed. Unlike in the tabernacle in the Old Testament, it was covered. It was not removed. Amen? But if you worked hard and you got all of it right, when you died, you get to go to Abraham's bosom and wait for Jesus to die on the cross for your sins. That was the best they could hope for. Amen? And when Jesus died on the cross for their sins and was raised from the dead, all those people were raised with him. That's why many dead people were seen in Jerusalem on the day of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because you know why? He went and got them and took them with him. Hey, dig around, sister. It's in the word of God, right? Go look at the resurrection of Jesus Christ in the Gospels, and you'll see these things happened. They happened. You know, that's the thing I love about the Bible, Melinda. When you talk about the Bible, I think of myself as an attorney in a courtroom, and I'm convincing the jury of the truth that's in the Word. But I can't get anywhere with the jury if they don't believe in the book. I can't convince them of anything if they don't believe in the book, right? All right. All right. The high priest would lay hands on the animal to be sacrificed, and the people's sins would be imputed to it. So our sins must be dealt with before we enter into God's presence. Now, I'll tell you, I've been in places where the presence of God was so thick and so heavy that the unsaved were so deeply affected by it, they had to yield to it. God wasn't forcing anything on them. But I'm telling you, when the Spirit of God is really there, human flesh cannot cope with it and stay the way they were when they entered the door. Even if they don't yield to it to a point where they give their heart and life to Jesus, they're never really quite the same. No one who's ever been in the presence of God has ever really been quite the same. Can you say amen? Watch this. We're still talking about the brazen altar, confession. Confession of our sins is our brazen altar today. In Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13, it says, Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper. Look, look, look. That's why I talk about everything with God. I talk about everything with him. I've learned that the sin part, I'm, I'm not to worry. I'm to pray about everything, right? God cannot give me peace about that unless I know that I know that I know that I know he's dealing with that thing. That's how you give it to God. Amen? You have to give it to God and let him help you outpace it walk away from it for it to be out of your life and it has to take a lot of trust in god amen it takes a lot of trust in god proverbs 28 13 whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy they will you will get mercy amen god will not leave you that way don't let the devil beat you up over those things just keep going to God with it. Amen? And then ask God by the power of the Spirit to help you leave it at the altar. That's where things die. 
dead or supposed to die. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 7 and 9, but if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, which means he's right to do it. Faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You are not defeated. You're not beaten. You're not buried. You are not dead. Amen? We're alive in Christ. The blood of Jesus does for us what the animal sacrifices were meant to accomplish. Not what they accomplished, but were meant to accomplish. This is a better thing. Can you say amen? Jesus does it better. Jesus always has and always will do it better. The altar of confession must be the first stop on the way to God's presence. All right? Part B, the labor is for cleansing. The labor is for cleansing. The labor was a bowl for cleansing the hands and feet of the priest. Because the sacrifice was a bloody job, the priest had to clean up constantly. We need cleansing before we enter the presence of God. The true presence of God, right? Now, this is good preaching. You know, you're not shouting me under the table yet, but this is good stuff, all right? Such cleansing comes through the Word of God operating in our lives. The Word of God scrubs away our sin, washing away the accumulated filth of living in an evil world. Amen? Remember how Jesus washed the feet of the disciples before they celebrated in the upper room. When Peter protested, Jesus said that he was already cleansed, but they still needed the dirt of the road washed off their feet. Every now and then, you just got to go back and talk to God about things that are going on around you in the world, you know, and how God can help you be separate from that junk. Point C, the table of showbread. That has to do with Thanksgiving. This was the place where they kept the 12 loaves of bread, which were changed out every Sabbath as a symbol of God's provision. God didn't want his people to forget how he had rescued them and been with them through all their trials. He didn't want them to forget that he had fed them with manna in the wilderness. The response to this reminder should always be gratitude and thanksgiving. That's why I like to pray over my food. Plus the fact that I didn't see the guy in the kitchen cooking it. <laughs> I like to involve the Lord in my consumption. Amen? He didn't want them to forget that he had fed them with manna in the wilderness. The response of the, to this reminder should always be gratitude and thanksgiving. Looking back at our lives, we can be thankful for God's care and provision. L look at me real quick. I have been hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt when I didn't have two nickels to rub together. And I stand before you today telling you this. This is important. Watch carefully. This is not malnutrition hanging out under my chin. <laughs> God has taken care of me. Amen? This is an important reminder as we come into his presence. It's also a reminder of our need to submit our will to God and trust in him. Amen? Next piece of furniture, because I'm starting to move along here. The lampstand. Well, what does a lampstand do? Somebody tell me. You got a lampstand? It's light. Right. Illumination. Right? The lampstand, a golden menorah, was the only light in the temple, all right? The light of God was the only light in the temple. It either had to be the lampstand or God himself, amen? Watch this. 
This light was crucial since the tabernacle had no windows. Didn't have any windows, did it, Mike? Right? The lamp was for illumination. God never wants us to enter worship without our mind being illuminated and engaged. Don't come here to church blindly. Be prepared. Get ready. Amen? You know? It's easy to blame somebody else for everything that's going on. Maybe it's time to hold up the mirror. Take a good look. That guy looks familiar. <laughs> right? All right. The lamp was for illumination. God never wants us to enter worship without our mind being illumined, illuminated and engaged. It isn't just about emotions. It's not just about emotion. Our minds sometimes wander during worship. Amen? Preacher's brother. So it is important that we keep allowing our mind to be illuminated by God's light, right? 1 Corinthians chapter 2.16 says, God wants to give us the mind of Christ. Boy, that'll help. Amen? You know, we read these things and we think, well, how does he want to do that, you know? Look, do you talk to God about it? You know, it's a good thing to talk to God about what he said in his word. You know what he does? Oh, you're interested. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? If you don't, he knows you're not interested. You don't read the Word of God. You don't feed on the Word of God. You don't know the right questions to ask, right? All right. The main way we are guided is through our mind. That's where God starts. Have you ever been sitting there and something came into your mind and you go, I know that didn't come from me. <laughs> I'm not smart enough for that, right? But God put it there by the power of the Spirit. Amen? All right. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15 tells us that we are to offer up sacrifices of praise. That means you do it on purpose. Our praise is a declaration of God's person and character. In Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas were in prison, but it was through raising their voices in praise that their freedom and deliverance came. But pastor, you don't know what I'm going through. Well, first of all, let me just say you would be surprised. <laughs> you know, I'm breathing too, right? I know what you're going through. I may not have all the particulars of right this exact moment, but the answer is still Jesus Christ. Always has been, always will be. If Satan has you locked in chains, praising God is the way these chains can be broken. It's the only key. It's the key. Amen? Because you think the devil's going to come and undo them for you? No. Praise always affects us. It reminds us of who God is and what he's done for us. All right? All right, now. So, so that, that was point E, by the way. Slam E up there. The altar of incense. It's praise, right? It's praise. Now, watch this with me. It is so easy for me to stand up here and say, well, you know, pastor preached a sermon on the furniture in the tabernacle, you know. And, and you can sit there and ask yourself this. And this is what I did. I said, Father, you know, we've talked about the furniture and what it represents. Isn't it difficult, though, to sit there and say, how do I apply these things that these pieces of furniture represent to my life? Where's the, where's the how-to in that? And the Lord began to, he began to, he, he loves to mess with me a little bit. First of all, I want to talk to you a little bit. Put three up there, the most holy place and the Ark of the Covenant. This is the goal, all right? This is our goal in worship, the most holy place place in the ark of the covenant that's where all the things that god told 
Abraham and the children of Israel that he was going to do for him. All those promises, you know, in the Ark of the Covenant, the most holy place where his presence was. Isn't that where we want to end up? Look, if you're living a life where, you know, you, you're doing things, you know, maybe you got a job, maybe you don't have a job, maybe you're raising children, maybe you're going to school. This world can get pretty busy, can it? Sometimes people just don't see their need for God. But I'm telling you, you ever get in that place, you get into the Holy of Holies. I'm going to tell you something. I thank God that he is the most addictive thing that has ever existed. God is addictive. You ever get into the presence of God? You ever met anybody say, I know I got this friend. They read their Bible every day. How do they do that? <laughs> you know, read their Bible every day and they pray every day. And not only that, they do it first thing in the morning. When their eyes come open, they go do this. Why do they do that? Why? Because they've been in the presence of God. And when they wake up in the morning, one of the first things that in their heart and mind, because he's addictive. He's addictive. He'll help you forget the troubles of this world, the pain of this world. He's that special, all right? All right. Wow, that's powerful. That, 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 that just makes me happy. <clears throat> all right, watch this with me. I'm making sure I'm not leaving any of the you know, you don't want to leave the gold behind. Can you say amen? Don't want to leave the gold behind. We have to pass through confession, cleansing, thanksgiving, illumination, and praise to come into his presence. I'm going to say it again. Confession, cleansing, thanksgiving, illumination, and praise. That's powerful to come into his presence. That's under the most holy place in the Ark of the Covenant. Inside the ark was the law, and on top of the chest was a golden plate. Two golden angels were on either side of the ark, and on the top of the ark was the mercy seat. It needed to be over the law. Amen. Here the priest would sprinkle blood which covered the laws that had been broken by God's people. All right? Now, here's what I want to do with you. Listen to this. Here's where we're going to... We're going to take a step here. I'm saying to Father, Lord... How do I help God's people apply this to their lives? Because applying furniture to your life, that just don't seem to cut it. It's hard to get the real vision. And watch what God began to do. Watch this. <clears throat> Point number four. Listen to this. Jesus is our entry into the holy place. What if I prove to you, what if I prove to you in the word Something difficult when you start thinking about furniture, helping you in it. No, but it's different when you start realizing that each one of the pieces of furniture was Jesus Christ. All along it was Jesus, right? He's the brazen altar. Why do I know that? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Listen very carefully. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Now, now that, that is that piece of furniture. That's the brazen altar. Listen to this. In John chapter 15, verse 3, we find out that he is the laver. 
you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Jesus is the brazen altar. Jesus is the laver. He's the lampstand. John chapter 9, verse 5, I am the light of the world. It's Jesus. It's not a piece of furniture. You don't have to get tripped up on it being a piece of furniture. It's Jesus. We know him. Amen? We just need to let him be Jesus in our lives. He's the altar. He's the showbread. Let me, don't let's skip one. He's the showbread. What did he say? What did he say? When the words start to come out of my mouth, I am the bread of life. That's Jesus. That's Jesus. It's more important than anything going on in the world. Amen? It's more important than anything that has your attention right this minute outside of him. Amen? All right. He's the altar of incense. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, even when we don't feel like it. Amen? Even when you don't feel like it. Even when at first time you lift your hands to him, you don't believe it's going to bring the presence of God into your presence. Amen? Do it even if you don't feel it. Do it even if you don't think it's going to work. And let God surprise you. Let God, the God of the universe, his son that died on the cross for your sins, that had you on his heart and mind when they were driving nails into his hands and feet, right? Let him show you something let him show you something amen he is the ark of the covenant first john verse one and three our fellowship is with the father and with his son jesus christ the old testament pattern is fulfilled in jesus christ used to do a radio um, broadcast in jacksonville florida when i was just a teenager called christ is the answer and it was, of course, the name of a large ministry, but it was the name of my little radio broadcast. Why? Because throw a question at me and find out if Jesus isn't the answer. <laughs> I mean, you know what I'm saying? I mean, you, you're, you're facing this. You're facing that. Well, you don't know what I'm going through. What does it matter? Jesus is still the answer. Amen? Jesus is still the answer. He is the one who John says became flesh and dwelt among us. The Greek word used there is that he tabernacled among us. He tabernacled. Am I lying to you today? Am I twisting something? Am I making something up? I mean, this is, this is, this is full of joy for me, full of joy. Amen? It, it's what's on the menu. Amen? All right. He is the one and only way into the presence of God. I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So you see, I didn't, I didn't make any of this up. I told you about five pieces of furniture you know, that they had to go through to get into the presence of God, and Jesus became every one of them. Jesus became every one of them. It's not, we make it out to be something mystical when it's not that complicated. How much of your life are you giving to Jesus? Some people compartmentalize. I'm going to let him in here, but I'm not going to let him in here. Give it all to him. Amen? Let him have it. Let him have it. You know, then if it, if it has hurt you, and bothered you that other people in the kingdom haven't represented well, because we do that sometimes, we don't represent well, and make you not want, look, forget about them for a while. Start thinking about you and Jesus, because it matters. You and your future with Jesus, it matters. And, and I'm telling you, when the time comes, 
and we stand before him, it's going to count. It's going to mean something. Amen? I told a person one time, they were arguing and fighting and all, and I usually don't debate with people. If they don't want to hear about Jesus, I'm not going to try to force it on them. I mean, what good does it do to force Jesus on somebody? I said, but you know, one day when you stand before him, man, you're going to. Matter of fact, I'll go a step farther. You're going to kneel before him. That, see, I, you know, you, you say sometimes, you know, even the disciples got a little embarrassed by Jesus, the way he acted and what he said and how he talked around the temple. All right? Well, Jesus, don't say that. He said, you know, you can tear all this down and I'll build it up in three days. <laughs> Jesus, whoa, whoa, you don't know what you're saying. He knew exactly what he was saying, right? But he embarrassed them, right? Listen, none of that matters. None of that matters, you know? I said to this guy, though, look, you're going to bow. You just mark that down, put it in your heart and mind. Because, you know, I got a little upset. I get a little defensive, you know. I said, one day you're going to kneel before him. And if you prayed with me today and gave your heart and life to Jesus Christ, even though you don't feel like it right now or, you know, you're having your doubts, trust me on that day in that hour at that moment, which is an odd way of putting it because there won't be any clocks anymore, right? You'll be glad you did. And they didn't pray with me. So what I do? Get mad, knock the dust off my feet. No, I just said, Father, keep sending them. Keep sending people. Keep sending the message to them until they can't deny it anymore. Amen? And if you're mad at the way other people have tried to serve God and they've misrepresented and they hurt you in some way or another, you get saved, you get right, and you do it right. You be the example for all those slugs that don't get it right. All right? I wrote a note here. Great works of art. A copy is always just a shadow of the real thing. If you look at a picture of Van Gogh's painting, The Starry Night, in a book, you might be impressed with his colors and vibrant movement, but this is not the same experience as standing in front of the actual, original painting where the colors seem alive and where all the vigorous textures of Van Gogh's paintbrush can be seen. With any great work of art, the copies can never fully capture the beauty and liveliness of the original. Assembling furniture, if you've ever bought some furniture that requires assembly, you know how important it is to carefully follow the provided instructions to the letter or you will backslide. That's all I'm saying, right? If you skip the altar saying, I don't have time for the rams and the lambs and I don't have time for this bloody mess, just take me to the holiest of all. You aren't going anywhere. In order to get into his presence, you've got to come through the blood. Just walking into the world or just walking in this world has made your feet dirty worse. Amen? What do you think? God provides a pattern for worship. God provides a pattern for his presence among his people. The brazen altar, confession. The labor, cleansing. The table of showbread, thanksgiving. The lampstand, illumination. The altar of incense, praise. The most holy place in the Ark of the Covenant, dynamic. But Jesus is our entry into that holy place. You say amen? You know, I do this so often I, that I, I get concerned sometimes that somebody, you know. I had, a, I had a man tell me one day that was upset with me. He said, one of the problems with you, Pastor, is that you tell us you love us too much, too often. You do that too often. You do it so often that people doubt your word. I went, really? 
I think that was his problem. I don't think it was other people's problems, you know. But, but ask yourself a question. You've got, you've got to ask yourself, just do me a favor. Ask yourself, does pastor love me? Just answer that for yourself. Does pastor love me? Does he really pray for me? You've got to answer that for yourself. And I don't care who you are. I've seen you. Let me tell you, I am terrible with names. Can you say amen? But let me tell you what God did to me. I was a homicide detective. I've been a pastor. I've been whatever. Listen to me carefully. I never forget a face. Told you I met a man in Yakutat, Alaska. Oh, I said, I've met you before. Where? I don't know. You're here for two weeks, I'll tell you. Told you the story. Two weeks later, we're riding to the airport. I tell him. He goes, you told me you were going to tell me where you met me. He was joking. I went, oh, yeah, thanks for reminding me. I met you 25 years ago on a porch in front of a trailer in a trailer park in Auburndale, Florida, for about five or ten minutes. That's where I met the guy, right? He went, you're kidding me. I said, well, you tell me. Am I kidding you? You, you lived in Auburndale, right? He said, yes. I said, well, brother, we were there together. <laughs> and, and you lived in a trailer park, right? He said, yeah. I said, you were on my front porch. I met you on my front porch. All right. So what I'm trying to say that to you for is I love you and I never want to hurt you. Never. Never want to scare you. I never want to conjole you. But I am like Paul. I would like to convince everyone I meet that they need Jesus. Everyone needs Jesus. Right. And then there's another side of that. If you need Jesus and you want Jesus. I can't sneak anybody in the back door. You know? Now, and let me say this to you. I'm not trying to scare you, but I'm just trying to tell you what Jesus said, right? Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me, I'm going to be ashamed of you. And I'll not declare you before the Father. He'll deny you before the Father if you deny him. Say, well, Brother Dennis, that's pretty heavy-handed. No, it's just the truth. Right. 